Hi, I'm Mary. And I'm Bridget. We are the co-founders of the Work Your Worth podcast, where we have transparent conversations about what it takes to uncover and utilize your value at the highest level. Hey guys, it's Mary. And last week we chatted about anxiety and depression. We talked about what it was like for me in my history. And I hope that you took away some really practical things from that. And as we said, the conversation wasn't over. And this week we have another perspective for you. This is probably one of the most real conversations I've ever heard from Bridget. And she talks about what it's like being on the other side of the table. So Bridge, why don't you get us started? This isn't something that I share with many people and it's not because I'm ashamed. It's just because I, I'm still learning how to process it. And a part of me processing it, I've learned is talking about it because it's something that has been suppressed for so long because I try not to sound dramatic, but in a sense, it's like I've had a form of PTSD because of it, because of the experiences I've had to go to and through and the things that I've had to witness. And I've also, I spent the majority of my life not having clarity on this situation. So um, if you remember, if you listened to our off the cuff episode, I briefly mentioned that I had not seen my dad for a while. And I also said that that's a story for another day. So um, the other day is here. (laughs) Here it is. Mary and I are both rubbing crystals in our (laughs) hands right now. (laughs) It is such a... This is a a hard topic. My heart is I'm already through my hard part, so... (laughs) I don't even understand the crystal thing, but I can't put it down. So... With all, I've said quite a bit without actually cutting to the chase. So my dad actually has borderline personality disorder. Being on the other side of a relationship with someone who has BPD means that I've experienced intense love from my dad. And also from what my perspective has been intense hatred to the point where I can't help but think that he has been possessed by the devil. I mean, the childlike voices that I've heard come out of his mouth, the things that I've woken up to in the middle of the night, and the countless vulgar statements that I had to start hearing as early as the age, maybe six, five, kindergarten. Those are things that it's, it's hard to escape from. It's hard not to be impacted by it. And it's, it's hard to talk about and look back on because it's not something that I want to. And mm-hmm. anyone who knows me, I mean, they think I am a positive person. I'm super positive that thankfully that comes naturally. Um, however, there's these moments where I look back at this and it's hard. Um, so what borderline personality disorder is is it's a serious mental illness that's characterized by pervasive instability in moods interpersonal relationships self-image and behavior it's very common for this illness to disrupt family and work life 
in addition to an individual's sense of identity. And he was diagnosed in the 80s when the concept of BPD was first coming out. So honestly, the diagnosis could change if he were to be evaluated today. However, the research that I've done on BPD, it's pretty spot on. So another thing that makes it difficult to talk about is that this is only one side of him. And it is the most frequently shown side of him. Again, from my perspective and from my experiences, um, can't speak for anyone else, can't speak for him. However, there is this highly intelligent, athletic, adventurous man who is a great conversationalist that is still inside of him. And it's not a part that I see often, however, it is there. And those are the qualities from him that I see in myself that make me love him. And honestly, because of that, and I know that that's still inside of him, like that's how I, that's the reason I believe in unconditional love right there. Because there have been so many things that have happened that I swore I hated him so many times. And there's things that if a friend were to do or say any of these things to me, I'd be done however there's just i don't no matter how intense our relationship can get i can't not love him i can't not be there for him when he needs me um it's also important to acknowledge that if you were to have a conversation with my dad you would not hear what i am saying you would hear the complete opposite um from his perspective, everything that I'm saying right now is a lie. It's completely made up, um, which everyone has the right to their own perspective. It's, we'll just have to agree to disagree on what we've experienced. And honestly, this was really, really hard to deal with growing up. I was made to feel that being upset by his actions made me feel, made me weak. If I caught him out on things that he said or did, I was told that I was a liar. I was told that I was made to feel that my opinions and my feelings were completely invalid and that I was dramatic. This led me to question absolutely everything about myself. Am I a pathological liar? Is there something wrong with me? Am I making things up in my mind? Did I hallucinate this? Am I crazy? And I feel like it's also because he is, he's so intelligent. I mean, he has his master's degree from the University of Pennsylvania. Um, he's a very smart man and he's good with his words, especially on paper. And he could probably make the most sane person question themselves. And so because of this, I went through so many different stages with him. As a child, I felt fear and I felt sadness. As a teenager, I was angry. To be honest, once high school started, I didn't have to go to my dad's house anymore. So from ages 14 until around 22, I was drunk every single weekend, starting in eighth grade. 
because I could finally do what I wanted on the weekends and why not take the pain away? Why not forget the things that I've had to come home to for so many years? Why not escape? And I mean, going out drinking, partying, it helped temporarily suppress the unresolved pain. And then honestly, when I moved to Oklahoma is when, I mean, I definitely stopped drinking heavily. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love my wine (laughs) and a night out here and there. However, moving to Oklahoma allowed me to glow and to glow, (laughs) to grow and assess the situation. And I was able to remove myself from it. And between teenage years and adulthood, my dad and I, we were on a good page. However, things started popping off again right before I moved to Oklahoma. So then once I was out here, I got really involved with church and I learned about the power of prayer and meditation. And before I really learned how to pray properly, I would just pray, oh, I wish my dad would, wasn't crazy. I wish my dad would be nice. I, I wasn't acknowledging the fact that he has an uncontrollable illness. And it's uncontrollable because he is unable to have the self-awareness to see that there is an illness there. So without the self-awareness, yes, there is treatment. However, without the self-awareness, it's not going to happen. And stepping away and I learned how to pray for other things. I prayed for understanding. I prayed for clarity. I prayed for confidence within myself. And that helped so much with processing this. And it helped me to differentiate the man from the disease. Um, And I also just want to say that, I mean, our relationship wasn't all bad. I mean, I know my dad loves me and we had, we've had fun moments. We've had really good moments. I mean, some of the best childhood memories I have are with him. However, it's just so easy to forget about the love that you felt in the good times because pain stings so much stronger, you know? And another thing is once I moved to Oklahoma and I was able to differentiate the man between the illness, I got pretty angry once again, but it wasn't with him this time. It was my anger was towards the healthcare system and towards society and how we view mental illness. It's absolutely devastating to me that if a person has if a person is showing signs for cancer, they get treated for the disease that they're showing signs for. They with no questions asked, the doctors are there to cure the cancer because they're showing signs. However, someone is showing signs of a severe mental illness. They can't be treated if they don't have the self-awareness and the desire to get help. They can't be treated until something terrible happens. So it's kind of like treating the cancer patient after the cancer attacks their body and kills them Mm -hmm. in a sense. Mm -hmm. However, mentally, it's like, you have to just do something terrible and then they'll throw to you and then they'll do the psycho evaluation. It's like, and it's frustrating. 
And then also going back to the whole stigma towards mental illness. So my dad was diagnosed in the 80s when this wasn't something that was talked about. Mm -hmm. This wasn't something that was accepted. He, similar to you, was a very high achiever. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was an incredible athlete. He made it to the Olympic trials. He was an incredible student. I mean, on top of athleticism, he was smart. Mm -hmm. And from what I hear, he was extremely good looking. All the girls loved him. And so he was just the full package. And I wonder if he had been diagnosed during a time when there is the conversation about mental illness and when it is becoming more acceptable and when people are more comforting and understanding towards it, I wonder what he'd be like now. Mm -hmm. And of course it's like, I'm going to wonder how I wonder about him all the time, yeah. about things that could have went differently or things that could have contributed to it. And this is one of this is the reason why I want to talk about mental illness because from my perspective, for years I didn't understand. I hated my dad. Loved him, but I hated him. I felt so much anger and I thought that he was just crazy and mean and stupid, but really he is suffering. And you can see it in his eyes. You can see it in his body language. You can see it. It's written all over him. I mean, you look at his life. He is in pain. And the way he lashes out towards everyone, it comes from pain. And it's because of his illness. And it's just like, he has a little bit of an ego, too. (laughs) Honestly, every time I hear Donald Trump talk or like see Kanye West go out on a rant, it reminds me of my dad. (laughs) Kind of a good way to put it. So he would never admit that there's something wrong. Everyone else is the problem. Everyone else is lying. Everyone else is brainwashed. And what can we do to make it the world better for these people, for the people who are suffering like this? What can we do to make them feel welcomed into getting help and to make Mm -hmm. them feel loved and to make them feel cared for? And I'm asking this because honestly, I want advice. And I want the conversation to change. It needs to change. Mm -hmm. Because the fact that the conversations are starting to happen now, it's coming to light how many people truly suffer from these illnesses. I mean, you with your depression, I bet you that's a surprise to all of our listeners. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think that's, I did such a good job of being not emotional at the beginning of this. Like I have that power we were talking, like I can like turn down my, I can disconnect. Robot Mary. Um, can be Robot Mary. Um, but I think really like it starts with awareness and it starts with understanding. And isn't that true of every single thing? If we seek first to understand um, that, I think that the solutions kind of start to appear. And mm-hmm. again, like there isn't just a magic bullet pill. Like, mm-hmm. don't you wish that you could just do something and just like fix your dad? Oh my God, I would in a heartbeat. And and so badly, like I know, like anybody, like I wish I could push a button and be everything that I like see Mm -hmm. in my mind and have the ability to not feel controlled by something that is out of my control. Mm -hmm. And and I think that, you know, like you said, like for you, when you moved to Oklahoma and you learned how to pray, and that's part of it too. It's like, learning to not ask for a solution but ask for how can we understand it Mm -hmm. how can we 
um, have clarity and seek out community. And like, it's very, very sad to me. And I don't, again, is it just because there's more media and we see things, but to me, it feels like, yes, the conversation has started, but it's not enough. It's not enough at all. Um, I start, I really wanted, so in med school, like there were several classmates that also were struggling and they just couldn't for whatever reason, it was just too hard for them to reach out and be open about it. And so a typical of me, like I posted, I wrote a blog post about what I was going through and there were so many people that reached out to me and told me that they were also going through the same thing. And I just wondered like, what, what is it about me that makes me feel brave enough to share? What is it about them that is stopping them and how can we bridge that because i really believe that no matter what it is that you're going through that community is the most powerful thing that if we bring light to these things that we don't we fear what we don't understand absolutely and so like my heart hurts for you for and it hurts for your dad and it i just i again i wish that i could fix it but there Mm -hmm. isn't if we're seeking to fix, we are never going to find a solution. We just won't. Mm-hmm. So it's how can we understand what that person is going through? And then if we want to get very like political, like what what does the infrastructure need to look like? Yeah. And maybe it doesn't have to be political. Maybe it just needs to start with what can you individually do as a person to love your neighbor, to love the person on the street that you see. Because probably they're struggling with a mental illness. I know. It's it's so likely. And I mean, this isn't to sound like boastful or anything. I don't know how I don't have one. Mm-hmm. I don't I question myself constantly. And to be honest, there's a small there's a part of me that's a little afraid to have children. Mm-hmm. Because from my research, this could possibly be genetic. <laughs> um, but you're you're absolutely right. So starting to talk about it. Obviously, we don't have a solution. However, putting it out there into the universe, giving it to God, giving it to whoever it is that brings you that peace and that comfort and that understanding, putting it out there is the start of the solution. And it's it's just very it's so unsuspecting you you never never know and you cannot assume mm-hmm. people either I and mean, so i promise i mean i'm sure you all know i'm not like this every day i'm typically much more giddy and i'm pro- honestly i'm on my way back there because after we're done recording we're gonna cook dinner and mm-hmm. have a good time but um I'd like to share some things in addition to what I've already said that have helped me to deal with this. And if you, as a listener or anyone that you know, has tips that you would like to share too, let us know because that would be so helpful because I mean, honestly, do any of us know what the hell we're doing? (laughs) No. Collaboration can help. Yes. So... From the perspective of someone who's been on the other side of someone else's mental illness, these are things that have helped me. They are not from a doctor resource or website. I mean, there's no like factual information behind this. It's just my experience. 
Um, learn how to differentiate when the person you know is speaking and when their illness is speaking. Because honestly, if my dad is speaking to me, cool. I'm good to talk to him. I can always tell the language changes when it's the illness talking. I ignore it. I have to. Um, Also, you need to protect yourself and give yourself distance when necessary. Because as I said, yes, I love my dad. However, there have been times when I've had him blocked on social media, phone. Actually, I don't even have his phone number. Email, everything. And I needed that time because it wasn't healthy and it wasn't good for me. I remember August 2000. 15, I believe I was coming back from Nashville from, I had an amazing weekend with my best friend Paige and he started going off again and he continued to. And I was, that was, there have been a few times when I felt depressed in my life. I could, it's less, I could probably count the amount of times and that was one of them. I was in a funk for about a month and it was because I wouldn't turn it off. Mm -hmm. I just let him keep coming and keep coming. Protect yourself and know when to step away. That does not mean you don't love them. That does not mean you're not there for them. That means that you are looking out for you and for your mental health and doing what needs to be done in order for you to go about living your life in a productive and a healthy way. Um, Always remember the good about the person. However, stay cautious and stay aware that the illness is there and that I lived for so long thinking that when I had good days with my dad, they were going to stay good. The past was just behind us. It's like if it, their illness is untreated, it'll likely come back. Um, embrace the good. Remember the good. Just stay cautious. Do not throw their illness in their face. I've taught my dad crazy a thousand times. I mean, that didn't help anything. That's fuel to the fire. And... If they don't have the awareness to it and you're lashing out on them in anger and telling them all the bad things about themselves and why they're crazy, that's not going to help. I mean, maybe I don't know. This is just what I'm thinking. Maybe if you caught your person in a good day and could have that conversation, maybe it would be welcomed. If that opportunity presented itself, maybe I would try it. I believe that my dad's living in Colombia right now, the country, not the city. So who knows when the next time we'll see each other would be. But if the opportunity presented itself, I'd love to do that. It's also important to understand that you cannot control the actions of others. For so long, I thought that my dad lashed out because of me. For years, when I was a kid, I thought that my parents got divorced because of me. Because the first time that I saw them fight, I asked my dad. I asked, I had cereal in my hand, and I think they were rice checks, which is weird because it wasn't a sugary cereal. <laughs> um, and I remember exactly where we were standing. We had this white swinging door. And I asked if I could have a bowl of cereal and my dad said no. And my mom said, why did he tell her no? Bridget, you can have that cereal. And then they started fighting. And then from that moment on, I just only remember them fighting. And at the time I was young, I was in kindergarten when they got divorced. And I just remember thinking they got divorced because of me. If I would have never asked if, to have a bowl of cereal, they would have never got divorced. And obviously that's a very young-minded example. However, there, that was a pattern throughout my life. I thought, man, if I didn't do this, he wouldn't have done that. But we are not in control of other people's actions. 
We are only in control of ours and we are only in control of how we react to their actions. So when they're displaying these harsh actions, are we going to react in a way that will add fuel to the fire or are we going to react in a way that could potentially diffuse the situation? Also, chances are that when someone is in a moment of rage, whether they have an illness or not, it's important to know that the things that someone says to you when they are angry, it's more of a reflection of them than it is of you. And that was a really hard concept to grasp, but a very, very important concept to grasp. So those are the things that have helped me through this. And it is clearly a work in progress. I used to think that there was an end date on when the emotions of this would die down, when the episodes would end, when everything would just change and be bright and sunny. However, I don't know if it's going to happen and accepting that that may not happen is going to be helpful to the growth in the situation and to moving forward and honestly learning how to live with it. Because I'm not going to sit here and say it's not going to happen forever or that I'm just going to cut off all communication with my dad forever. Honestly, after my wedding, I didn't think I'd ever speak to him again, but we went out to breakfast in March. <laughs> and it's, it's a battle. I believe that it's one worth fighting. So just to wrap things up, as we've talked about something really heavy and, you know, either one of our stories could hit home with you guys. We again, just want you to know that you're not alone and that there are resources out there for you or for your loved ones. And that we hope that whatever we may have said, that it'll help you in some way and at least get the conversation started. And we can link some resources in our podcast notes too. We will do that for sure. So thank you for listening. Yeah. Thank Thank you you. for allowing us to share our stories with you and for supporting us and for all of your encouragement. We'll talk to you guys soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Work Your Worth podcast. Hey, just like go over to the iTunes store, like, subscribe, and rate us. We'd really appreciate it. Thanks. Bye.